I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin. And they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Uh, we're partnered up with the Roll Up Network. Big shout out to those guys. Uh, just before jumping to tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout out to you know our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Just check that out. Uh, everything about this podcast is on there. Our episodes, interviews, our blog, our store, our celebrity shout outs, and all of our social media links, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Go subscribe or follow us on all those platforms and interact with us. Uh, you know, we chit we you know we chit chat with all of our fans and we love the feedback. And uh before we get into the film review, just one last announcement. You know, recently we've knocked out uh, a Patreon that we've all kind of started called Blood Donors. And uh, you know, you know, it's just a one-time monthly thing, but we get so much support and so many, so many people inquiring. We've recently started, you know, just a traditional Patreon uh, monthly reoccurring thing. Uh, it's only, it's real cheap, five or ten dollars. Uh, just go to our website and check that out uh, if you're interested. Uh, we'll have bonus content, early content on there for you guys, uh, and I think y'all really enjoy it if you do join. It's not a requirement by any means, but if you want to help us out, you know, pay for this podcast. We'd really appreciate it. We are so excited by the participation in this blood donor campaign. For those of you who don't know or maybe new, we have launched a new Patreon campaign called Blood Donors. We have five donor tiers that range from, you know, just $5 monthly donation to even one-time donations as well. And, and in exchange for keeping the lights on, We've added perks such as early content to bonus episodes, autographed pictures, t-shirts, and even joining us for an episode of your choice. Any donation goes straight to helping with web hosting, SoundCloud hosting, guest procurement. Again, you know, just thank you guys and girls so much. We have some of the best loyal listeners. We love each and every one of you. We can't believe every day that we get to do this. Just go to don'tgooutthere.com and click donate. And oh yes, there will be blood. But again, not real blood. This is money, you animals. And we have finally gotten back to some some host picks. Uh, all the blood donor picks has been fun, but it's kind of kind of refreshing knowing that we're going to be picking on one of our own movies. Or maybe we're going to love it. You never know. Brother Dustin, it's his birthday pick. Uh, he chose They Live. Uh, tell us why, Dustin. Happy birthday, Dustin. Thank you. Thank Happy you. Happy birthday, For- brother. Thank you. First of all, Nico, I know that you're not going to love this movie, so um, that's okay. You don't have to lie. I would also uh, like to say happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, for my birthday pick, I picked a movie that is also turning 33. This movie came out the same year I was born. Uh, I picked They Live. And it's kind of one of those movies that is nostalgic for me. I remember watching this movie or seeing it on TV, rather, when I was little. 
But it took me years for me to find out what it was because I was too little to really watch it and understand what's going on. But I remember it being on and then just try. It was kind of one of those things like I was on the search for years. Like, what was that movie? What was that movie? What was that movie? Then I finally found it out and I watched it and I was like, oh, hell yeah, this is awesome. Okay, so (laughs) um, I'm glad that it stuck in my mind. And it's funny that it stuck in my mind because there's a lot of... uh, metaphors in here about subliminal messaging and things sticking in your mind so that that's fitting but roddy piper uh no secret we've talked about it before i'm a huge wrestling fan i've been a wrestling fan my whole life uh, i had the chance to meet roddy piper a few years ago before he died and uh he actually kissed me on the forehead so i've got oh, even shit. more of a more of a connection to this movie it was at a, a convention and i told him the uh, very true and honest story. I told him that I grew up watching wrestling with my grand grandfather and uh, Papa for as long as I can remember has called me hot rod. And that was <laughs> Roddy Piper's nickname. He had shirts that said hot rod. And uh, it was because we, we were big Roddy Piper fans and he just said, God, I love you. And he kissed me on the forehead. So that's a cool story that I've got, but um, that is cool. Yeah. And uh, it's also got the great Keith David in it. Uh, I was a big fan there. And just overall, I'm a big John Carpenter fan. So I've been wanting to pick this movie for months. And once uh, we talked about this a while ago, we're like, you know, I do have a birthday pick coming up. So even if we are still doing fan picks, I can sneak this one in there. And so I thought I better go ahead and do it. I'll I'll go next real quick. Uh, Never seen this movie to no one's surprise. Uh, (laughs) I actually never even heard of this movie until, believe it or not, a bass fishing podcast. They brought this up somehow. Uh, I I knew very, very little about this, Dustin, before we watched it. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of just in the middle. I mean, it's kind of just mad to me. It's not terrible, but it's not something I would ever just want to watch again, really. Uh, but, yeah, that's just kind of how I feel about it. It's just kind of, all right. It was just it was just mad to me. But I know it's got a big cult following and a big uh, oh, yeah. a big love for it. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mike, yeah. do you want to go next? Yeah, sure. So like Dustin, I'm a, I'm also a big wrestling fan. I have been my whole life. I'm currently on the outs with wrestling, though. So if you really want to know, I'm I'm in a very complicated relationship with the art form. Um, <laughs> but Roddy Piper is also one of my favorites. I never got to meet Roddy, but I do. Um, I lo- I've always loved his character as far as a rest as far as wrestling goes. Um, his acting I don't think is fantastic or anything. <laughs> uh. But I think the the character that in this movie fits. As far as my thoughts on the movie, I'm I'm not in the exact same camp as Nico. I think it's okay, um, but I think it's I I think I like it a lot more than Nico because I think it's a lot of fun. It's not it it's a very it's a movie that takes itself seriously, but also has a lot of humor. Um, this is another John Carpenter movie that that's trying to say something, and I've said a million times on this show. I will always give a movie credit that tries to say something. Um, and, you know, Carpenter's done that a lot over the years. Um, and this movie is no different. This movie was way more in your face about it, though. And I fall somewhere in the middle on that. Um, but I think it's done well. I think using uh, 1950s kind of black and white graphics and simple imagery to kind of portray that message, I think was interesting and different. Um, so I really like that aspect of it. I like the dynamic between 
Nada and Frank. Uh, I like all the, the behind the the behind the scenes of this movie is almost more interesting than the movie because so much stuff goes into making this film. Um, this was almost another Kurt Russell and John Carpenter collaboration to, mm-hmm. to, to, to steal someone's fun fact. But he liked Roddy Piper so much, he picked Roddy Piper instead. So again, as far as how I feel about the movie, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I feel like that you know Justin felt like this about Jaws, and that's okay. But I. I fall somewhere on this. I feel like this is a Jurassic Park type movie to me in the sense that I don't know if it's a horror, but I don't think it's not, not a horror. If that, it, it's, it's not that I think it's a horror, but I don't, I also don't think it's not a horror movie. If that makes sense. I think there's some, some horror elements to it the same way I do with Jurassic Park. Uh, but this has more of a sci-fi adventure fantasy type feel. And I know, you know, Dustin kind of had the action adventure feel for Jaws, so I totally understand that. Uh, I was just messing with him that day. <laughs> I just wanted, hey, to, it, I just wanted it, to ruffle his feathers. In my defense, though, if you go to IMDb, only one of those three movies you mentioned actually has horror in the genre this, uh, listed. So I'm just saying. Okay. Well, as we've said uh, to quote someone on this show, what do they know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that yeah, that's I fall. I think it's just okay. But I understand why it has a cult following because I feel like it's a lot of fun. Yeah, so I'm kind of in the same camp. Like, so here's the thing, and, you know. And to my credit, I said this way back when we did the thing, which you can listen to on don'tgooutthere.com. Um, I'm just, I'm not a John Carpenter fan. I mean, if it's not named Halloween, Ghost of Mars, uh, just, uh, I just don't think no. I've not actually, I have not seen Ghost of Mars. Um, Get ready, but I, I, we will. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But I just, I, I don't think all of those other movies are great. Um, you know, now, you know, I can get way into that, but that's another convo for another time. And I'll take all hate mail to that at, it's my Twitter name is Settle MLCFB. Um, just send all my hate mail there. Um, <laughs> no, the fuck so- it's not. That's mine. Don't do that shit. <laughs> Isn't that the behalf four or whatever your name is? Well, you don't even know. Thanks, bro. Um, anyway, I don't know any of you guys. Nico, Nico's changed his 10 times. It's been super Nico and Nico fishes and who knows what the fuck his name is these days. Super Nico. I'm just, I don't know. I was just okay. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, back, back to this. Uh, so I have, I have plenty of guilty pleasures. You know, I've discussed them all on here. Demon Knight, masters of the universe. Jason goes to hell. Plenty of movies that to me, I like just, you know, no matter how dumb I know they are. So I can 100% understand if you like this. You know, to me, it's just one of those cheesy 80s sci-fi action horror flicks that you either love or it's just not really for you. Um, you know, you talked about Piper. He's, you know, he's unpolished, but he had that almost like, I wrote down working class type charm to him. And, I, you know, it, it's, he was charming. So I, I will give it that. Um, it wasn't near as bad as I thought. Another thing about this you'll hear a million times everywhere is it's more relevant now than ever. Now, the thing I'll give this movie credit for is that you can set, you can go back to any decade since this came out, the 80s, the 90s, 2010s, 20s, and see an article anywhere that says this movie is more relevant now than ever. Because to me, it's like it's one of those statement movies that is like against, quote unquote, the man. Uh, <clears throat> no matter who is in that quote-unquote man category in that particular decade, if that makes sense. 
Um, so it, so it seems, it seems to almost always be relevant. So, I mean, that's definitely props to that. And, you know, funny enough, we just did the platform, which had another very interpretive political message about it too. So this movie can be fun. You know, if it works for you, it works for you. It just has never really clicked with me. You know, I, I don't, I don't hate it, but I just, you know, it's just mad to me if that makes any sense. So I'm kind of on that same page. It does. And to, to your point there, Carpenter actually, wrote this movie apparently you know to as a direct commentary to his stance on ronald reagan and Ron, reaganomics right. and right. uh this right. is honestly one of those movies that i'm surprised hasn't been remade because so much movie gets remade that i think that if they redid this like you said it's such a timeless concept of you're always going to feel like those messages are there uh no matter what time period you're going to feel like there's metaphors to be made about the government keeping the people down and everything. So it's honestly shocking that it hasn't been remade in all these years. Yeah. There's something kind of charming about it. The fact that it is an eighties B horror movie that's saying something because we've seen a ton. Golly guys, we have seen and reviewed eighties B movies. Okay. Uh, nineties B movies as well. You know, just cheap, cheesy horror films. And while this one isn't cheap necessarily, it's very, cheesy 80s the music is cheesy yeah. 80s carpenter like the score is the the one-liners all of that stuff you know the acting even the like the frame plot not the hidden message within but the frame plot is kind of you know aliens intact from outer space like that's the you know baseline plot even that is cheesy 80 horror but there's something charming about one of those that's actually got something to say and I do give this movie a lot of credit for it. And I think it was executed well. I just think there's some stuff along the way that that even at an hour and 34 minutes long, this movie sometimes feels a little longer than that. And that's, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, how I, you guys know how I feel about that. Hey, did, did he? I mean, I, besides being jacked out of his mind, Piper to me looked a lot like Mel Gibson from Lethal Weapon 1. Like just like just from the neck up, because obviously Piper's fucking madman. He was Jack. He was the Rock before the Rock was. Hey, hey, what's funny, Dustin? Before we start, that's the most Jack Piper's ever been. He's not a body guy. As yeah, far as wrestling goes, he looks. Yeah, he looks great. You're exactly right, and it's actually funny you say that because that's one of the fun facts I have. I'll go ahead and get it off now. Um, when he made this movie, he left the WWF to make this movie. Vince McMahon didn't want him to make it. He said, uh, after reading about it, he said, give me four weeks and I'll find you another movie that will pay you the same. Just don't make this one. And Piper left because he disagreed with how Vince McMahon was controlling everything anyway. Side note, after he left and he made this movie, a lot of wrestling fans and uh, rumors spreading around said that uh, Piper had a body double, that they superimposed Piper's head on another body because he's never been that jacked and all that. So that's funny you say that. <laughs> Goddamn, look at him, pal. Ah. So vascular. Any any more opening thoughts where you jump into the scene by scene? Let's do all it. All right, let's get it. The film starts with credits and visuals of graffiti with They Live written on the like concrete pillars by the train tracks. We see Nada walking with his belongings on his back towards the city of Los Angeles. Uh, I wrote there's a, I thought the opening score was groovy is how I described it. Uh, we see homeless people all along the sidewalks. Nada gets to a job recruiting facility. He answers questions on his previous employer 
and she tells him nothing available right now. He walks away, and we hear the street preacher giving a fiery message. He says a lot of different stuff. I just wrote about worshiping greed and about who controls us, and it's all around us. Nada continues walking and stops and watches TV through someone's window. Nada the next day asks a construction worker if they need help and says he, he even has his own tools. He asks for the shop steward. Now he's, sh- now he's shirtless and working. I guess he got the job. The supervisor tells him not to sleep on the job site again. Frank tells him of a place he can stay and get a meal and shower. He scoffs and Frank walks away. Nada follows him and we see more homeless people and they get to the place to stay. He introduces Nada to Gilbert and he tells him he could use his help to fix the showers that are caving in. Dinner time now. Nada scarfs it down and talks to Frank. Frank has a wife and two kids in Detroit. The steel company laid them off and gave themselves raises. The two chat more about life. Nada says he believes in America and he'll make it. Nighttime now and Nada plays the harmonica and walks around. He stops and watches TV with two other gentlemen and a hacker comes on the screen. Saying the poor and underclass are growing. There's no racial or justice, no racial justice or human rights and they're creating a repressive society. We see the street preacher voicing what the man on the TV is saying word for word. They are safe as long as they are not discovered. Man stands up and turns the TV off. Blow it out your ass, he says. They walk the preacher away from the community. Nada continues walking and sees the preacher led away. Next morning, Nada asks Gilbert about choir practice running late, and Gilbert walks away sneakily. The man in the TV comes back and says the signal needs to be stopped at the source. Man runs over to the church as the choir sings and Nada walks over. He enters and sees like scientific stuff and sees they, they live, we sleep written on the wall. He sees a tape player wired up, there's no choir. Nada stumbles and finds a hidden door. Gilbert and the hacker discuss with another group that their signal isn't getting out. Gilbert says we're not going to reach enough people. They need strong people to work with us. Nada turns around and is met by the preacher scaring him. He touches his hands and face and Nada gets away from him. All right, Brian, let's do opening scenes. What you got for me? Um, first thing I wrote down was that I, I do do like that they never say Piper's name in this movie, and and I, I'm not sure that it's a callback to Clint Eastwood's you know a man with no name type of movie, but it sure as heck with this opening had a like Rambo uh, or First Blood, not Rambo, First Blood um, esque drifter you know kind of style opening, you know and. And you brought up, Mike, that Carpenter actually wanted Russell at first in the role. And that role was actually written for him. But, you know, kind of felt like he should go another direction since he had four prior movies with Russell up to this point. This is Tim Burton, Johnny Depp before Tim Burton, Johnny Depp. <laughs> but uh, I, I just, you know, I'm kind of, I'm glad they went with Piper. You know, I'm, I'm glad they kind of did a little something different. You know, and another fun fact about this opening scene here is that it actually cost $12,000 to have the train roll by for that opening shot. And a technical error apparently required them to do it a second time. So that's a lot of money when you're working with a budget as tight as this one was. And, uh, you know, we get introduced to Keith, uh, Keith, uh, David's <clears throat> Frank here. The man is just an absolute legend. I mean, anything from Armageddon to the pitch black series, he was in platoon, just a ton of stuff. And Bobby shot you know, Lester Wallace. There you go. <laughs> and, and apparently, you know, Carpenter was really impressed with him in the thing and, and didn't want someone who would be a traditional sidekick, um, but could hold or could hold his own. Um, and he, apparently he wrote this role specifically for David too. So the more of this story is Carpenter gets whoever he wants, if he can write it for it and he gets them. 
But I thought it was a real weird choice to kind of have Piper be so polite um, and nice to everybody that he talked to until Frank offered him a place to stay. And then he just kind of ignored him like an asshole and then followed him. Nay, stalked him. One would say Michael Myers-esque type. Um, Carpenter actually brought real homeless folks into the the production for several scenes and, and, and smaller characters and kind of gave them food as well as paychecks. <laughs> And Piper was quoted as saying that he thought that that was a pretty classy thing to do. So that was another little fun fact. But again, my opening, I said that this was pretty much, you know, a social commentary without the dialogue, you know, to throw in your face. But and this is this little bit between Frank and Piper when they're eating and kind of talking about who he has uh, the gold makes the rules is, you know, whoever has the gold makes the rules um, is about as far as it goes uh, dialogue wise. Um, you know, and Frank does a great job, I think, delivering them. So that's really all I had on the set of scenes. The pacing to me is a little bit off. Um, it's just not enough character development, really, or or development in their friendship. I don't know. It just seems a little bit off. So I don't really have anything constructive to say. It just didn't. I don't know how else to describe it. It just didn't seem really right on. So go ahead. Yeah, you know, right off the top, there's not a whole lot to say about the first two sets of scenes to me because of the lack of dialogue. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just there's a lot happening, and I don't think Roddy's like Roddy Piper's character talks a ton. You know, Frank talks a little bit more than he does, but like just in general, there's not a whole lot of talking until the third set of scenes, and he puts on the glasses, and that's kind of when you know character development kind of opens up. So, really, what I have here is first of all, I love this score. <laughs> um, I think it's per- it's perfectly '80s in the best way possible. Uh, I think it's awesome. I love this opening shot. They used, you know, a real home, you know, real street, you know, with homeless people and all that stuff, which, you know, Brian already mentioned. I love how it fades into actual graffiti. I love all of that. I think it's really good. Um, Piper walking through the city is kind of, it's just, again, it's very quintessential 80s. Like, there's no other way to describe it. But it's it's just the music playing, and here's Piper with a, a cool mullet look that he has going on here it's just very awesome i love the shots and again if you like john carpenter then you should like these shots if you don't then i completely understand but you know as far as everything else that happens i think there's some social commentary right off the bat which brian already mentioned but i like what they do with pretty much without the dialogue because at this time the job market wasn't exactly flourishing and they talk about that right off the bat they talk, you know, they make it very clear the have and the have nots without actually telling you until the conversation with Frank um, about the have and the have nots. And, and I think that that's, you know, he goes and tries to find a job and he couldn't get one. He said, there's nothing for you right now and all that stuff. And, you know, he gets his construction job. And then we meet Keith David, who I mentioned is Lester Wallace in Barbershop. And I know this isn't in this movie, but I have to quote it because I don't know when I'm going to get a chance again has one of the best lines in movie history from Barbershop. He's, Ice Cube sells to Lester Wallace. And he, he said, I said that sign out front will always say Barbershop. I turn it into a gentleman's club. And then Ice Cube says, no, Mr. Wallace, that's not what we talked about. Oh, I'm going to keep that same theme going. They go, the Barbershop, where you can get a trim, and then you can get some trim. <laughs> 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 One of the best lines in movie history. Please leave that in, Brian. Um, <laughs> but uh, every time I see him in a movie, that's what I think of now. And he's been in so many other things. Like you mentioned, Armageddon. I just can't 
not see him as Lester Wallace. It's fantastic. Um, but I love his character in this movie. Again, we don't get a ton of development, but we know what Frank is. He's a family man. He's got a wife and kid back home. Like, you know, he's out here trying to feed his family. And I love what I really like about this set of scenes more than anything. It just kind of sets the line between the common working man, you know, the homeless, the, the homeless people, and then the rich people, which they really go into later. But I really like how they kind of set that up. Um, man, I think, and one last thing, Carpenter does a really good job of making this homeless scene look realistic. You know, they're sitting out by the, you know, the trash cans that have fire and all that stuff. And a really big commentary on television and, and how it's, you know, kind of brainwashing the masses at the time. Got to remember the eighties, which again, I wasn't there for, but the eighties was a different time where TV was becoming more popular than it had ever been. Uh, just it's, it's in more households. It's, you know, and people, their main objective for a long time was to get on TV. And I think he kind of comments on that right here. So, uh, some pretty deep stuff without actually saying a ton, which I think is, it's good. It's not anything great. Like, you know, like Brian said, it's paced a little slow for me, but, uh, it's not a bad set of scenes. It kind of sets the table for what we get later. So, yeah, I love this. I love the, the score too. Um, and I really love how the score kind of remains in the background of the entire movie. Like, it plays the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why, but I really like that. Uh, it's funny you should mention that, how you always think of uh, Barbershop and you see Keith David. I think of the most psychologically terrifying movie I've ever seen, Requiem for a Dream. And there's one line in that movie that I always, every time I see his face, I think of. It's when he looks at Jennifer Connelly and says, well, it ain't going to suck itself. And <laughs> I can't, Fantastic. every time I see him, I think of that line. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, when we get to meet him, when we get to meet Frank, I did think it was a little odd how they made such a big deal that like camera goes to him and then they show him look over at Roddy Popper and he watched him for a second. Like that it was kind of weird. It was just kind of weird how he was watching him like that. I would have rather them met in a less strange manner or notice each other in a less strange manner. Um, just like I agree with the lack of character development for the pacing as well, like you guys said, because I would have rather been introduced to Nada a different way. Um, the whole drifter walking in town with a big ass backpack and sleeping bag on your back. Like I get it. But, you know, having him stop into one uh, temp agency or whatever the hell that place was, and that's only that's the only backstory we really get is I worked in Denver for 10 years and the jobs just went away. I would have rather almost the intro, the intro be told via flashback or something. Like maybe have him walking into the city with his backpack and everything, keep that aesthetic, but then have like cutscenes of, memories where he's thinking about what how he ended up here something else i don't know to make me more empathetic with him which you don't really need to be once you find out the plot of the movie because it's pretty cut and dry you're either for the humans or the aliens but you know or you could you could have a, a cop stop him by and, and you know an asshole cop you know played by brian dennehy maybe just yeah. like rambo yeah <laughs> or hey, hey, instead of brian 
Fuck fucking Brian Dennehy. That's what South Park would say. And it won't be the last time South Park is referenced in this episode. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> uh, but instead of Brian Dennehy, I would have had the big boss man do it. That way you keep the wrestling team going. But uh, Oh, yeah. nice. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Even better. I'll count it, George, boy. <laughs> but um, I did think I get what you're saying about how uh, he just kind of blew him off when he offered him a place to stay or was talking to him about a place to stay, and then he kind of stalked him. But I did like the line. I like how he said, uh, you know, Frank says, I don't like anyone following me unless I know they're following me or know why they're following me. And then Nada said, well, I don't like joining up with someone unless I know where they're going. And so I thought that was that was kind of a cool how they're both skeptical of each other. But, you know, fuck it. Let's He's got go. so many great fucking lines. He really does. He really does. So many good one liners, including his most famous one, which is ad lib, which is incredible. Um, but then, you know, we get to the we get to the site where they're going to get meals and shelter provided. Great. Grand. Wonderful. Fuck the guy that sits around and plays the harmonica. I don't know why, but the harmonica <laughs> is the most annoying shit ever. You might as well be playing bagpipes, you asshole. Oh, wait, Roddy Piper did that too. And I'm not saying <laughs> fuck Roddy Piper here. I'm saying the guy in general that just plays harmonica. Like, come on, that's not a pleasant music. Pick a different hobby. Um, oh, blues traveler. I'm just pissed right now. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the hook will bring you back. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, we get Nada snooping a little bit, maybe watching people a little too closely. But I get that, too, because I would be curious as to, okay, these people are just going to take us in and feed us. I'm a little suspicious of them. Let me watch their every move. I would kind of be that way. But, man, the balls in this guy to just confront him and be like, <laughs> yeah. you're at the church a little late, weren't you? 4 a.m.? Like, holy shit, man. Just kind of let that slide. <laughs> he just fed you. He's giving you shelter. It could kill you, make you disappear. Um, and then, you know, when he goes into the church and he's snooping around, I didn't mind anything about that scene. I actually, I like how we get introduced to the uh, the group that's trying to lead the revolution, and they're telling us the plot without being so in your face with it. Like we're you're seeing it through Roddy Piper or not his eyes, like he's spying on him so I, I don't mind that the only problem with the whole thing that i have is how predictable it was that the preacher snuck up on him i didn't you didn't know it was going to be the preacher but just how the camera angle was you knew that he was going to back up into someone and so that's a little too predictable but other than that i didn't mind it um but yeah i mean i'm biased i liked it go ahead all right we see a helicopter in the air now in the air now as nada walks away Another man tells Frank of an end-of-the-world cult he's heard of. They're shooting people, robbing banks. Frank keeps looking at Nada. Nada sees men removing the boxes from the church. He tells Frank of what he saw inside there. Frank says never mind them, but he tells Frank about Gilbert's involvement. He tells Frank the white line's the middle of the road, and that's the worst place to drive. That night, Nada keeps watching the church. He looks up and sees the helicopter with uh, like a guy standing on the side with a gun and we see cars fleeing the church. Cops show up to the church now. They lead the preacher back to the community, like the soup kitchen community. Flares are thrown, and the cops face the church. More and more cops arrive with bulldozers. They start to destroy the soup kitchen community. A lot of yelling and chaos. Cops aren't letting people escape. Nada calls for Frank, but he runs the other way. Nada finally runs away to escape. Nada sees cops attacking the preacher and the man watching TV. Nada sees a man in the corner, and they run. 
but the cops block off the alley. They climb into a room through a window. They walk the halls as more police attacks happen. Nada drops the man off with another couple and looks out the window. A man asks if someone started World War III. Next day, Nada walks where the community used to be. We see people like scavenging, looking for items to keep. Nada sees the church is smoking. He walks back in it and sees all the boxes missing. Nada kicks down the secret door and finds a box remaining. He walks down the alleys with it and finally stops to open it. It's a box of sunglasses. He keeps a pair and buries the rest of them in a trash can. He walks the streets with the glasses on and sees in black and white. He puts them back on and sees hidden messages in the signs and, you know, media throughout the town. He stops at a newspaper and magazine stand and sees more hidden messages. He looks up and now sees the well, the well-dressed customer, as IMDb calls him, as an alien-type <laughs> creature, like with a skull face. He's in shock. The guy running the stand approaches and asks if he's going to pay, and then sees money is also a hidden message. He puts up the magazine and walks away. Nada walks slowly through the streets and sees more of the skull-faced alien people in stores and on the street. He goes into a grocery store and sees it full of these people. He now watches the news and laughs. He tells he tells an old woman her head looks like it fell in cheese dip in 1957. <laughs> the, cashier, <laughs> the cashier says he's going to kick him out, then trips over like an end cap in the store. The woman whispers into her wrist that they have someone who can see. He runs out and he says, I don't like this one bit. All right, Brian, go ahead the next two scenes. Oh, man, there's another great line in there, Brian. I hope you say it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to get it. <laughs> so during the beginning you know, of this set of scenes, Frank says, I walk a white line, and Piper tells him, white line is in the middle of the road. That's the worst place to drive. Like, Frank didn't say anything about driving a car. He said walk, not drive. So I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? Well, and you don't want to walk know, in the middle of the road either. You get hit by oncoming and going traffic. Exactly. So you walk, you know, walk on the side of the road. <laughs> anyway, um, I will give props though how how this police ascending like on the homeless lot and the church looks and, and how it's shot, very reminiscent of Escape from New York. So, yep. so yep. you know, Carpenter knows how to shoot these scenes and make them look good. And this is no exception. The cuts, the chaotic flashes, the lights, I thought were on point for sure. Um, another thing I noticed here, and I know it doesn't. It does this a lot throughout the movie, but it specifically does it right here. But literally from the 29 minute mark into right at the 35 minute mark. So that's six minutes. If I'm doing my math here correctly, not a single line of dialogue is spoken until the man asks him what his problem is. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time. I mean, now, thankfully, this is during one of the most visually interesting parts of the movie. Um, you know, but that, that just stood out to me. A, a good example of, of show don't tell, uh, no explanation at all. Kind of, kind of Mike touched on that earlier, uh, you know, of what's going on. And, and honestly, if it works for you, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I think that, uh, oh, and yeah, I laugh my ass off at that line where Piper says, uh, old lady, you're okay. This one real fucking ugly, man. I died, <laughs> died laughing. That's my favorite. That may be my favorite line in this movie. Yeah. Now, Cause I was not expecting that and I forgot it. Um, lastly, just a fun little fact, you know, before I get out of here on this set of scenes, John Carpenter, he was uncredited, but he's the voice that says sleep in this section of scenes here. So go ahead. Yeah. Again, I mentioned it earlier. There's really a hard, <laughs> a lot of like, not a whole lot to take notes on just because there's, like you said, a really big gap of nobody says anything. However, I still love this set of scenes. 
I love this opening thing, how it's shot with the police invading the homeless. I, I, I love the way that that scene is shot. I, I, I think it's great. There's a lot of action. Um, you know, you we're making a clear line in the sand here on who the good guys and bad guys are. And I like that part of it. Um, you, right. you know, I may not be invested in every character here, but I, I'm, I empathize with their plight. And so I really like the way that scene is shot. I think it's very, very tight and good. Um, the, you know, the glasses being found is something that, uh, in the, look, how the fuck he got those glasses. I'm almost willing to forgive just off the simple fact that I love what happens when he puts them on. So I'm not, I'm, I hate being too big of a critic of that. Um, you know, it's funny. This cashier scene has three awesome lines in it. It's, it's, got, it's got the cheese dip thing. It's got the real fucking ugly. And the, <laughs> the, the formaldehyde face or whatever he said. That shit's so good. I take the glasses off, normal person. I put the glasses on, from out of hide face. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and what's great, and I know it's it's probably in someone's fun facts, but a lot of these one-liners were stuff that Roddy Piper had from old wrestling promos that he wrote down. And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to spoil the big one later, but I think you all know what's coming. But, you know, some of these one-liners, some one-liners were Carpenter and everyone else. Some one-liners were completely Roddy Piper, you know, you know, he's look as a wrestler, you have to be able to, well, back in the day, you had to be able to come up with words and sayings on your own. And it worked for him in this movie. And some of these one liners are just freaking classic, man. So I love this set of scenes just because I, you know, I mentioned it on the top of the show. I love when they put on the glasses. It's very 1950s, early 60s, black and white film yeah. with very big lettering, almost like. You know, this is drive in right, type right, or something. Right. Yeah. I love that that's the that's what they're using as the message for which we ultimately know the message is this is capitalism, you're being brainwashed, consumerism, blah 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 blah. You know, we know that's the social message they're trying and that's why we talk so much about it being a timeless message. Because sticking it to the man can can literally transcend generations from the 40s to now sticking it to the man is a very yeah i know i've watched a lot of stick it to the man neosis watched a lot of school rock in my day so stick it to the mind neosis uh it's it's a great line but yeah i i I love this set of scenes i know not a lot happens as far as dialogue but i think a lot takes place to set up the rest of the film and i think it's really good yeah uh Man, these cops are some assholes. Like that's that's, that's how I started my notes in this set of scenes. <laughs> these cops are some assholes. The way it's shot does have a real like Armageddon type feel to it, and I don't mean the movie Armageddon. Like it, it feels like impending doom style. The cops just rolling in with no explanation and wrecking shop and beating the shit out of people, killing people. And the way that the helicopters involved, the tanks are involved, the riot gear, the flares, it's just very chaotic. Uh, imagery and it was very well shot and then the next scene though okay how he got the sunglasses yes i would have rather him grabbed a pair when he broke into the church the first time instead of stumbling across the box and like okay 
But his facial expression when he finds them is great. He opens the box and he's like, what the fuck? This, this is a box full of sunglasses? I thought that was a great. Uh, Roddy Piper, he was unpolished and he's not the greatest actor by no stretch of the imagination. But he did have some nonverbal acting that was good in this movie. Like his facial I, expression. I agree. I agree with that a hundred percent. I was gonna. Absolutely. I, was, Absolutely. I, was gonna, I don't mean Especially, to interrupt you, but yes. Right. Especially later when some fight scenes come. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, then he goes and hides the sunglasses in the trash can. Like that's gonna work. Like that. That I have another issue with that. Like you're just gonna hide it in a trash can. Garbage truck's gonna be bad. That's gonna be gone. And it anyway. Um, but when he actually puts the sunglasses on is my favorite single scene in this entire movie, because like you said, Brian, there's no talking, there's no dialogue. It's one of those less is more type scenarios. Uh, it's just perfectly shot to me. You get, all you hear is the hustle and bustle of the city. You hear the traffic and Another part where his facial expression is really selling it all. Um, imagine how you'd feel if you put some sunglasses on and it, your life's changing behind your eye. Everything that you thought you knew was a lie. And then you see that we're being controlled. We're being brainwashed and we're not in control of anything. It's just we're victims of subliminal imagery. Um, phenomenal. Phenomenally shot. I like the 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 the. Uh, the imagery that's used with the black and white and the simple, like you're looking at an advertisement, but you put sunglasses on and all it says is obey. All it says is sleep. All it says is it. marry and reproduce. And really so good. it's it's just, that's my single favorite scene in this entire movie. And then, yeah, like you said, he gets into the grocery store and God, the, the dialogue is fantastic. Real fucking ugly is my favorite line from this movie. Um, then after he delivers those lines, he trips and falls down. And that was actually one of uh, Carpenter's, like, kind of went back and forth on after the fact. He kind of regretted doing it because he didn't want to make the hero uh, look weak in that moment. But I, didn't, I don't know. It does kind of feel out of place to me that he fell down like that. But at the same time, it's kind of he's in a moment of shock. And so I, I get it. It's uh, understandable. And you empathize with it. But. Yeah, it almost feels more human. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, And then, you know, the they can see us. I like how that was introduced. uh, So we know that they're aware that there are people that are aware. It's just the way that it was introduced with that simple line. They can see us or we've got one that can see us. He's kind of a taller white guy, blah, blah, blah. So I like this set of scenes. But like you said, there's not a whole lot to take notes on. All right, Nada is now attacked and stopped by some cops, and they ask where he got the glasses. Nada sees him reaching for his gun, <laughs> then he clotheslines the guy, then punches the other one and steals his gun. He shoots the other guy and the other guy after being hit with a nightstick. Nada walks away and runs inside a bank with a gun. He sees all of them with the like the alien skull, and now he drops you know the the famous line that everybody knows: "I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble gum." He starts gunning down all the skull-faced people. He goes to shoot the tattletale, but he but he vanishes. And the tattletale is another great line as well. He makes it back into the alley, and we see like this flying robot checking him out. Then Nada shoots it with the shotgun. He runs into another cop who isn't skull-faced and has him run away. Holly walks in a garage to her car, 
and is abducted by Nada. They get into her into the car, and he notices her face is normal. They watch several cop cars pass by, in cars and on foot. Holly says they're gone, and she asks where they're going. She lies about being married, so he says, let's go back to her place. They get to her place, and some neighbors greet her as she walks in with him. Nada grabs her hand, and then he collapses by her couch and removes his glasses. He says the glasses make you high, but also give you a big crash. He tells her he's in trouble, the whole world is. You just need to see through these glasses. She says she'll do what he wants, just don't hurt me. He starts to nod off, and she walks toward him. He says, don't fuck with me. She says she's thirsty, and he says to go ahead. She grabs some wine and a glass and stands by her window. He asks her name and apologizes for being there. He asks her what she does. She works for the TV station. He walks towards the TV, and she cracks him in the back of the head, pushing him out or throwing him out the window, basically. She calls the cops now, and I wrote, my man survives the attack and stumbles away. Nada hears the cops coming, and you know he does some more stumbling away. He stopped in an alley and is shivering cold. He walks some more back into town. Back at the construction site, he finds Frank. He tells Frank he's had a rough few days, and Frank asks how many people he's killed. Frank says, leave him alone. He's got a wife and kids, and tells him to get out of here. Nada finds the trash cans, and they're all empty. He sees the garbage truck, and op- he opens it back up. He climbs in it and finds the box with the sunglasses in it. The truck dumps everything out, and he falls out of the truck with it. Frank finds him and gives him his week's pay. He walks toward Frank, and he punches Nada. Nada now punches him and tells him to try on the gla- these glasses or they fight. The two men now, I, I can't do this scene honestly justice. You guys got to watch the fight scene. The two men now have an epic fight scene. They're biting. <laughs> they're kicking each other in the sack. Uh, they're swinging like pieces of lumber at each other, beer bottles. And I wrote for my wrestling fans, it must be a hardcore match. Frank slams Nada and he puts the glasses on his chest. Nada forces the glasses on him and Frank sees what Nada has been seen. Brother. Life's a bitch, and she's back in heat. All right, Brian, go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, I'll say, so my dude goes from putting on glasses to believing what he's seeing in those glasses to possible murder pretty damn quickly. I mean, now again, you definitely have to know, you know, what you're watching. You've got a cheesy 80s B-horror movie, and, and that's perfectly fine. But what isn't cheesy is one of the best lines, I said it earlier, in all of cinema history, uh, which started this episode off. Um, it's just, you know, looks so fucking amazing. But, you know, by now, most people know this, but for those of you who don't, Dustin touched on it earlier, the line was ad-libbed by Piper. Um, well, I mean, it was ad-libbed to an extent. He, he came up with it, had it written down in his notebook of potential lines during his wrestling career, and then shared it with Carpenter, and so they both agreed on it. So he, it's not like he threw it out, you know, in the during the, the, the filming, right. but it was, uh, uh, it was definitely... Piper's um, line there. Um, we get introduced to Meg Foster, those gorgeous eyes here. Look, I had a huge crush on her as a little kid watching her play Evil Lynn in the 87 Masters of the Universe, which again, I know, terrible movie, but it's one of my guilty pleasures there. Uh, and Foster has been in a ton of stuff, including, you know, a few Rob Zombie films as well. So yeah, Meg Foster. Respectfully, of course, respectfully. She has um, the bluest eyes I've ever seen in my life. Holy God, shit. And, and she acts in this movie exactly yeah, right. like she does as Evil Lynn. And I thought I didn't I thought there were contacts. I didn't know those were her eyes. Yeah, they're yeah. unbelievable. 80s Meg Foster. Call me some There time. you go. 
Um, so, so Piper was married at the time of filming and refused to take off his wedding band. So right here, when he's in the car with Mrs. Foster, which what is her name? I don't even know. Holly. Holly. Uh, yeah. yeah. I noticed while, this too, Brian. But while he's in the car with her, you can definitely sing that ring. Probably the best of any other time in this movie. And, and I love her line when they're in the, just, just so patronizingly, she's like, you're fighting the forces of evil that we can't see until we put on glasses. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know the way she delivered it. I loved it. Um, I'd also like to say Piper's definitely consistently holding his arm after that fall from Holly's like in the alley, uh, going to sleep as well as walking over the bridge the next day and even walking through the alley to look through the trash. Definitely good consistency there, but it is thrown out the window and completely forgotten all about as soon as that fight starts. Cause he, he uses that, he uses that arm that looks broken damn well. That's, That's straight out of. WWF, baby, you got to sell say. the injury until you need to, need the need that body part. <laughs> I, I, damn it, I don't remember that, pal. But anyway, it, you know, I'll let Dustin or Mike touch on the fight scene a little bit more as I've talked too much. But I want to give credit to what is supposedly the Macho Man's favorite line in the movie, as Nico yep. said. Another classic: "Life's a bitch, and she's back in heat." Love it. I'm a, I was going to do a really poor Macho Man impersonation because he said it in, a, in interviews, and I'm just not going to do it. Uh, just, just, just go seek it out. It's out there. Uh, yeah, I love this set of scenes. This is where the movie kind of kicks up a notch to me. Um, and look, I, I, so we get to hear a little more Piper and this is where some of his acting, not, not as facials and, you know, some of the stuff, the physical stuff, which we know he can do, but some of the acting falls a little flat for me. Uh, this is just like your standard basic acting, but again, there's some charm to that, and it doesn't bug me in the way that other bad acting would be, which we've talked about on the show, like Tarantino and natural <laughs> and from Dust Till Dawn, that's that's bad. This is better. Uh, sorry. But anyway, um, hey, 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 I'm just saying. You know, what's really funny is watching this movie in a rewatch, a lot of times when people quote, I'm here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, or even in my mind, I, I think of very Roddy Piper-like. And, Re- and Roddy Piper's on-screen wrestling character was very boisterous, very very in-your-face and loud and crazy, right. you know, man, maniacal. And he delivers this line so serious and subdued, and I love it. I think it's fantastic. Uh, again, we can't give that line enough praise. It's really, really great. Um, You're right, I, and it's not, and it's not like quickly said either. He no, draws it out. Yeah, like, it's, I'm here. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very, uh, er, it's very early, early eighties wrestling promo. Just not his wrestling promo because he's, oh yeah, I tell you what, the whole Hogan out. You know, that's kind of his style, and he doesn't do that here. It's very, very laid back and very slowly d- d- delivered in a really good way. I love it. Um, you know, you mentioned something, Brian, that I have right here. Zero hesitance by by this man to believe what he's seeing. Like, just really quick, all of a sudden, we're zero to 100 real quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's okay. I know it's a short film. Budget was tight. You can't write everything out fully fleshed. But I would have liked to see a little more doubt in his mind. But uh, like you said, he went from, from putting on the glasses to shooting up a bank really, really fast. Um, but that's okay. Um, I love, you know, Roddy Piper just looks natural. 
with a, a shotgun in his hands for some reason, or at least in this character. So I'm a big fan of it. Um, again, I so let's talk about the character of Holly. Like I like Meg Foster. I think she's beautiful. We talked about her eyes. We talked about her and other stuff. I just don't like the character of Holly. And um, I think partially because you could see where Holly's character arc was was going to end up going a mile away, um, or at least I did. But I, I I just don't know if she's completely necessary. I, I now look, I don't mind her being in the film. I I, I want to make that very clear. She 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 she's like I said, eighties make Foster call me sometimes. But again, I, I'm not a big fan of the character of Holly. I'm also not a big fan of no selling the injuries of from falling out a window and rolling down a mountain. Not a big fan of that. That's a knock on the movie to me. But I'm willing to forgive it because what it does lead us to is, one, I love the on-screen dynamic between Nada and Frank. I think it's awesome. Two, the best single fight scene in cinema history. Wow. To me. I don't think it's overblown. I don't think it's over. It's overpraised. I think it's absolutely perfect. And part of it is because it's so long, it becomes comical. Like you think it's over and it's not over. And for those of you that have never watched it, go on YouTube. I'm going to plug, I'm going to plug them right now. Go on YouTube and watch the side-by-side of this fight scene next to South Park's reanimation between Jimmy and Timmy and this fight scene <laughs> side-by-side. They nail it. It's so perfect, except it's with Timmy, who's, physically handicapped and Jimmy who's physically <laughs> handicapped and it's it, it's it, it's something else man I think it's great um I then love, go to then go to our YouTube and subscribe just of course well while you're there you while can subscribe there. to don't go out there YouTube and which I'm sure you can find the link at don't go out there.com um yeah one more thing the life or, or the the quote of life's a bitch and she's back in heat that's fantastic I mean again if you take nothing else away from this film, it's the 10 one-liners that Roddy Piper busts out. Could he have some more intricate dialogue? Yes. Am I mad about that? No, because we get some really great one-liners throughout the film. Yeah, to, like to touch on what you said about Holly real quick, Like, I think she should have been introduced way earlier in the film. I like, do agree with that. They should have given her some character development at the beginning, so to make this like turn matter a little bit more. And I don't know if that was ever the plan, but it was. It almost would have mattered more had um, had Frank flipped. You know, like it was just. Oh, I would have cared about. I would have cared about. Oh, it. You know what I'm saying? Like because they give you this character development from the beginning is what I'm just trying to. You know what I'm saying? Like you have an emotional response to it, and it's just not what you have to me. The Holly. But I, it's just like I don't have an emotional. I don't care that she flipped. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, there's some great wrestling in this movie. So this movie delivers on uh, some areas that I feel like every Rock movie fails, every John Cena movie fails, every Stone Cold movie fails, and that's where we actually get some wrestling moves in here. First of all, he yeah, clotheslined right, he clotheslined the shit out of that cop, and a uh, big fan of that. And then. We do get another funny line that I've never heard someone say this phrase before, but when he disarms the one cop and he tells him to beat his feet, like <laughs> that shit's funny to me. And he, I guess that means run, but I'd never heard that before. I still have never heard that, but uh, I thought that was funny. The kidnapping scene was a little off to me. And maybe it's like, I don't know. He went from 
this nice drifter that is in town just wanting to work hard, wanting to earn his keep, and then he finds these sunglasses, and then he's killing only aliens, and he's just trying to warn people to all of a sudden he's scaring the bejesus out of a woman in a parking garage and, and carjacking her and kidnapping her, making her, you know, it just kind of fell out of place. felt like if he needed a place to lay low, he probably just could have broken into an abandoned building. Um, or he could have just stolen a car. It was just a way for us to meet uh, Holly. And like you said, I, we don't really care about her. Her character doesn't matter that much to us, even after this scene. Um, I did think that she had some great... Yeah, she was great in the way she patronized him and said, uh, you know, you are in charge. And the, the just her her dialogue was great. when she Even when she said... Even if I put these glasses on and don't see what you see, I'm gonna say that I do. Um, you know, I, yeah. That was she was great at playing the victim there. Now, one thing I will say, he took a hell of a fall. This motherfucker fell out of the window like he's Maggie in Child's Play. What a dramatic fall! And uh, yeah, he just kept going. So I thought that was uh, that that just shows the heart of Roddy Roddy Piper. Uh, the the you know, just because he wears a skirt, he's not a sissy. Um, but yeah, the the fight, like you guys have said, uh, was fantastic. It's, in my opinion, too, the greatest fight scene in cinematic history. Uh, recreated shot by shot in season five, episode two of South Park. Episode's called Cripple Fight. And <laughs> t- <laughs> oh my God. Jesus. That's the name of the episode. I'm just quoting. Um, yeah, Timmy and Jimmy. Kicking each other's ass. Fantastic episode. (laughs) Yeah. And as far as this fight, you know, (laughs) Roddy Piper hasn't been involved in a uh, backlot brawl like that since he was in a Hollywood backlot brawl with Goldust in WrestleMania 12. (laughs) (laughs) But the decade after this, but you know, yeah, it drew inspiration. Um, But yeah, one last thing on this set of scenes that is worth noting is the iconic line, right? The, I came here to chew bubblegum kick ass. You guys have already mentioned it, but there's actually bubblegum soda, bubblegum flavored soda that you can buy. You can look it up online. Um, soda Emporium has some left. Sweetpeatscandy.com has some on there, but um, it's Roddy, Rowdy Roddy Piper, all out of bubblegum, bubblegum soda. And apparently it's pretty good. I had a friend that I used to work with, and he loved this movie as much as I did. And he bought some of the soda and he said it was great. And then he actually bought me a pack of like round gumballs. Like you get out of a gumball machine. I would and, probably uh, take that. And it says, I've still got it. Haven't ever opened it. Um, it says all out of bubble gum. It's the brand. And so I thought that was cool. But yeah. I, I definitely am going to try to find some of that soda and try it just for, just for hot rod. You brought up real fast wrestlers, you know, that uh, doing their moves in those movies. If I'm not mistaken, I thought I remembered The Rock at least doing the rock bottom in Walking Tall. Yeah. And it did he do it in the rundown? I'm not sure. But uh, so so that's true. And then, you know, when we did see no evil, Kane kind of delivered a choke slam. That's fine. But I'm talking this one has more than just finisher maneuvers. This backlot brawl that we got, I saw a gut wrench suplex. You know how proud I was? There was a fucking gut wrench. There was a drop toe hold. There was a a belly to back suplex. Phenomenal. 
Uh, this has been quite the wrestling episode tonight, fellas. Uh, I'm being, <laughs> hey, I'm being educated cross- a lot. Hey, it's Roddy Piper. It's a lot of crossover, brother. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm kind of glad you brought up the uh, Tarantino thing, too, because I was thinking that earlier. It's like him and Roddy weren't the greatest actors, but their charm just worked for the movies, uh, in my opinion, anyways, okay. with all due there respect. You there you go. Uh, the two men <laughs> both walk the streets rocking the glasses. They walk into a hotel lobby battered and bruised and ask for a room. They hobble up the stairs and make it in. Ain't love grand. Nada tells them to take the glasses off. It starts to feel like a knife turning inside your skull. I feel like that would probably feel like death. Uh, Frank asks how long they've been there. He yells and asks, what are we going to do? He yells at Frank, when you've got some kind of master plan, you let me know. Frank says, we need to figure out who made these. That night, Nada and Frank are cooking and start talking about life. Nada ran away at 13 when his daddy became mean. Frank says, maybe they've been here all along, seeing us hate each other, killing each other, and maybe they love it. Nada says there's going to be hell to pay. Frank walks in with groceries and Gilbert stops him and gives him an address to a meeting. The world needs a wake-up call, Gilbert says. That night, Nada and Frank make it to the building where the meeting is and let inside. They slowly walk the halls and a woman greets Frank and says they can take their glasses off and gives them contacts. They won't hurt unless interference. Gilbert tells them the cops are after them and they're mostly human, but the government told them they're commies. Frank asks what they want, and Gilbert says, Earth is like their third world. Gilbert leads them to a table of guns. They're going to lead an assault. Another man tells them the watches are the two-way radios, and they have a button that causes explosions. Gilbert is disappointed there's not more people here, and says we don't stand a chance with a few guns and grenades. We have to find the root of the signal. Holly walks in and says the station she works at is clean. Nada walks to her and asks if she's okay. That thunder? Yeah. <laughs> thunder <Yeah>. rolls. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you just call Garth Brooks? What? I'm sorry, did you just call Garth Brooks? I said the thunder rolls and the lightning oh. strikes. I don't get the reference. Sorry, sorry, Brian. The thunder just threw me off. <laughs> sorry. I told you it's bad. It's a- Holly walks in and says the station she works at is clean. Nada walks to her and asks if she's okay. She thought she killed him. She says she didn't know and apologizes. An explosion happens as they talk. The cops start shooting them down. Nada, Frank, and Holly manage to escape as the others are gunned down. Frank and Nada kill some officers in the alley as they escape. Nada says he has to find Holly. A bunch more cops arrive and Frank and Nada escape through a portal. The watch has opened for them. A A voice tells them there are directions if they get lost. They believe they're in a secret place under the city. Another voice says they believe they've wiped out the terrorists. The two men sneak past the guards. Nada hears something and they approach it and see a charity dinner type thing. A drifter stops them and says they're a little underdressed for the occasion. He finishes his drink and says he's proud to be here and offers to show them around. And the next two scenes are the ending. Go ahead, Brian. Um, Yeah, so we get Dave here in this set of scenes for the first time. Tommy the Machine Gun from Rocky V. Um, this was actually Tommy Morrison's first movie. And uh, I really liked the the jump scare in this set of scenes with him, like the, the explosion, you know, where, where they're rated here. Um, I thought it looked really good. And it's the first time the movie really took me off guard. And I was really, you know, it was really like, shit, it was bloody with people just getting blown the hell away. Um, 
that's the kind of action movie scenes and action movies and stuff that you just don't really get like anymore unless it's like you know expendables movie or yeah or like the latest rambo movie it's just like you don't get you just don't get that kind of like i'm coming in and i'm gonna blow everybody away no, you you picked a movie that was like that uh army of the dead was like that cutting this out <laughs> <All right. laughs> anyway brian picked army of the dead just everyone knows. respectfully that's disrespectfully i don't even know what's going on here <laughs> all right i don't even know where i was at um Oh, I wrote I wrote down, which doesn't matter anymore now that after we that, but I said that uh these things are actually like, you know, stormtroopers or something. They're just terrible shots. Like in the alley, in the middle of the street, they couldn't hit anybody with guns. Like they were they were terrible. And I did not need to see any trivia to know the communicators that these guys are using. Yeah. Underground PKE meters. You can't see on there. Have one right here from <laughs> Ghostbusters, the movie. From 84, which honestly, I didn't really understand. Like, why do they even have those things? Because didn't they all have watches to communicate with? I, I don't really, I didn't really understand why they had to, had to throw out the, just because it looked futuristic. I don't know. But um, regardless, Ghostbusters, PKE meter. What a and, flex. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't really have to, a lot from this set of scenes. And I wanted to bring this up earlier, so I'll just do it right here. But that's thunder, by the way. Um, this thing was actually titled in some European markets as Invasion Los Angeles, which given Escape from New York and in LA, I thought I kind of found that kind of interesting little title there. So go ahead. It also gives away the plot of the movie to everyone not in America. <laughs> but the, True. But hey, you know, whatever. Um, I also don't have a lot here. Uh, one thing is Frank finally putting on the glasses and believing what he's seeing completely nullifies the whole, uh, the whole fight. The best fight scene of all time ends up meaning almost nothing. <laughs> because as soon as he puts these guys on, I was like, oh my, oh, my bad, bro. You were right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to stop this shit from happening. <laughs> like, hey, man. What, we could have avoided all this if you just listened to me. God damn it, man. Uh, I thought every time I see it, I was like, God, that's so funny. Like, great fight scene. And then, oh, okay, my bad, man. My bad. We just beat the shit out of each other. Don't worry about it. That's, that, that's really pro wrestling right there you beat each other up and then you go back and have a beer together because it's all a script <laughs> um yeah man uh not there really is not a whole lot but you get you know, like you said you get these uh you know these police people that are kind of in really bad outfits that look like elves with attitude from the santa claus if you know what i'm talking about um i'm just telling you what they look like brother well, first of all, I love the Santa Claus. Don't you dare disparage the goddamn good name of the Santa Claus on this show. Uh, but also, that's a great, that's a great Christmas film. Which one ever review? So, um, although he does kind of kill Santa in the beginning. Anyway, um, yeah, man, not a whole lot. I probably the least I have on anything. But I, I again, to me, this set of scenes just kind of forwards the dynamic between Frank and Nada. I. I meant to say it two sets of scenes ago, but I agree with, I believe it was Dustin that said it, or it was Brian. Maybe you both said it, but I love that Roddy Piper's character's name is never said. And so we know who Frank is. We know who all these other people are. We know Holly, but we don't know anything about this character that Roddy Piper's playing. The only reason we know his name is not is because the end credits, or I guess if you read the comic way back in the day, which I did not, because I was born in 1992. So, Again, uh, not a whole lot, but I, I like that it's setting the table 
for the last set of scenes, which is some of my favorite stuff in the whole film. Yeah, so the the beginning of this set of scenes, the cooldown from the fight we just saw, the cooldown was almost a bit too much. It almost took me out uh, because I don't think you needed to cool down that much. Um, it did bother me, like you said, how we just beat the shit out of each other, but now you put them on so you see it my way, we're friends again. Uh, I meant to say this last set of scenes. Why is everyone so hesitant to put the fucking sunglasses on? Like, what's it going to hurt just to look through the sunglasses? If he's wrong, he's wrong. You kick him in the nuts and keep going. But uh, it's almost like he had to try too hard to put the sunglasses on. It irritated me. Um, but, you know, I, it's okay. The cool down was all right because they immediately made up for it. Because when they go to the meeting, like you said, talk about unexpected. That ex- that jump scare came out of nowhere Absolutely. when Absolutely. Holly's talking to, to Nada and then just out of nowhere they blow the, they shoot the shit up. Um, and then one thing about this group of people, they are not afraid to waste some ammunition. They would shoot like there's a, one of the kills, I think it's in the next set of scenes, but when Nada's in the alleyway and he shoots the guy off the rooftop, spoiler, that's my favorite kill because number one, he's holding the gun on nonchalantly, like his elbows by his waist and he's got his arm cocked out to the front, his gun sideways. And he's just firing blindly a machine gun up into the air, shoots a guy off the roof and the guy's falling, but he's still letting shots ring. Like I thought that was, uh, that's one of those cheesy eighties uh, action movie things where they're just doing it for the sake of uh, the explosions, and everything, but I'll, it worked in this movie. Um, and once the killing start, I mean, it started earlier because when he's in the bank and he's shooting the people, uh, whatever. But once the killing start right here, it really takes them no time at all to rack up some kills. I think there's 59 total kills in this movie. Holy shit. <laughs> so, um, I don't have a, I don't have a lot on this set of scenes either. It's just, I, I like that we're getting the action. And at this point, especially when he gets to the place and the guys want to give him a tour, you don't really know who's going to live or die. I mean, at least, I don't, and one of the deaths is very shocking to me. So um, I like that they they set you up to not know which direction we're going to finish in. To piggyback off you real quick, I one thing I love about this set of scenes is the action. Like I think the action is this is where it really starts to pick up, and I think it's really really good. So I agree with you on that. All right, here's the ending, guys. Uh, the drifter leads them out, and Frank asks where they are. He says they're backstage of the show. He says the portals are so much fun to use. He has Frank and Nada walk closer and shows them a transmission platform. He says that's where they come from. Drifter says you can move world to world with it. He leads him down the hall some more and compliments the guards. He now shows them the newsroom, the brains of the operation. It's where they transmit the signal all over the world. Now they get to more guards where we see some news anchors. Nada asks to be taken inside. He's never seen a TV studio before. Nada and Frank pull out their guns, killing the guards. He asks a drifter, where's the signal? He says it's on the roof. Drifter says it's just business. There's no countries, no more no more good guys. They run the planet. He tries to charm them to no avail. He disappears with his watch now. Frank uses his grenade to blow up a door. The two walk in the newsroom and open fire on them all. They advance to another room and Nada asks a woman if she knows Holly Thompson. A voiceover calls for security and they keep moving. Nada asks how to get to the roof. A woman tells him 
I love that scene where he's like, he just asks, he's like, oh, thank you. A woman tells him and he thanks her. They take the stairs up as security searches the place frantically. They shoot some security as they advance. They find Holly and the alarm starts. Nada guns down more security and they make it to the roof. They see the big satellite and Nada points the gun at it. He asks if Holly and Frank are clear. She says she's clear. She says, don't interfere. You can't win. Helicopters show up and he drops his weapon. She tells him to come inside with her. He pulls out his gun from his uh, his sleeve, killing Holly, then turns around and shoots the satellite. Nada is killed by someone on the helicopter. I'm assume he dies. He shoots a bird at him at the people in the helicopter as he lays on the roof beginning to die. Now everyone with the skull face is visible to everyone in the world. Uh, people on the news, uh, people in the bar, and the, the movie ends with a man having sex with a woman and his face is revealed as an alien. That was kind of a kind of a fun way to end the movie. What do you think, Brian? <laughs> I actually really enjoy the <laughs> ending. Um, you know, with it with that whole thing not really being a happy ending where the hero survives, uh, I, I thought it was good. You know, and, and Piper actually was was quoted as saying he regretted his performance in the final scene, flipping uh, flipping the bird to the bad guys, and thinks it quote should have been straight and strong instead of weak and slightly bent. Um, that yep. made me laugh. Um, and I did think it was worth noting here too, that, that it goes from color and shows the aliens in, in, you know, in, in color for the first time. So I thought that was neat too. Um, I liked the, uh, I'm, you know, I, I love me some meta too. So it may be meta Mike, but I love some meta too. So there's some meta-ness here at the ending where the TV, TV switches to the aliens saying, you know, all the sex and violence on the screen has gone too far for me. I'm fed up with it. Filmmakers like George Romero and John Carpenter have to show some restraint. <laughs> a little self-reference, very metaness there. And uh, a little deep dive here, another Ghostbusters connection. Sibby Daniela, who was credited as the naked girl at the end of the movie, played the mother at the birthday party in Ghostbusters 2. Her son in that movie, played mm-hmm. by Jason Reitman, son of Ivan Reitman, and director of the new Ghostbusters movie. So there's a little deep dive for you. Nice. Uh, yeah, so again, I really love this ending set of scenes. I think that there's a lot of action. I think, again, the on-screen dynamic between Frank and Nana really shines through. Um, I like, I really like everything, you know, they get into the tunnels or the underground, whatever the hell this is. And I, I like everything from there. I really, really do. I like how they tricked the guy that they knew previously into thinking that they're now being recruited and I like that they turn on the guards and use the guns and everything else. Like, I think everything from here on out is so much fun. Like the chase between them and the elves with attitude, as I like to call them, is really, really good. Uh, I And again, it's something that this is, this is the part of the movie to me that's not 80s B-horror movie. Like I think it's really, really good. There's some good action. I think there's good acting. There's good effects. Like I think there's a lot of good stuff here. And again, yes, you get the death of Frank, which I don't love. I wish if they were going to kill Frank, they would have made it more impactful. Maybe we could have seen it. It was a simple shotgun to the head. You don't see it at all. And then you have a character turn that we don't really care about. Like we don't, we're not really invested in the character of Holly, or at least I'm not. And so um, her kind of turning heel because this is a wrestling themed episode. Apparently <laughs> doesn't really work 
it doesn't really work for me because I can see it coming. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's an illogical decision or anything, but either way. Um, so, yeah, I – so, yeah, I mean, and I like the ending. I like him flipping the bird. I like exploding the satellite. I think it's all really good. Um, and I just like that you get to see the skeleton alien people in color for the first time. I think that's really, really good, too. So, bravo. Job well done. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it's probably my favorite part of the movie. Maybe not my favorite set of scenes, but my favorite part of the movie is, is the last 10 to 15 minutes. All right. So yeah, I really like the ending too. Um, you get the, let me rephrase it. I like the ending for the most part. Holly, first of all, if I'm not a, she doesn't push me out the window and try to kill me. I'm probably just going to kill her as soon as I see her. I'm not going to give her the chance to kill yep. Frank. Um, yep. I'm a little pick, pissed off at the whole situation. But uh, I didn't care about her character enough to begin with. and her So her turn didn't really hit me like it should have. Um, and I don't like the fact that Frank's death was off screen. They see, we see the gun go up to his head and we hear the bang, but it panned away right as it was happening. So I don't like that. I do like Piper's uh, delivery at the end and how he, you know, I, I disagree with him respectfully. What do I know? But I think he delivered it perfectly. Um, I don't think he needed to necessarily do a stiff middle finger there. It's understandable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like how, I like the, the, the way that the aliens looked in color. I thought they, they looked good, especially for the time period that this movie was made. And it was funny, you know, we, we'd go an hour and a half without any kind of sex at all. And then boobies, it's an 80s horror movie. We've got to put boobies in. Oh, fuck. And, the opposite of Jason Lee. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was 91, though. Um, wow. And then I like how he was just like, what's wrong, baby? Like, it was so fucking crazy. That, that might be the creepiest shit of, all, of the whole movie is her having sex with an alien and him just saying, you know, what's wrong, baby? I don't know why that just really rubbed me the wrong way. But overall, it's a fun finish. Um, it really set it up to where you could believe in your mind. Maybe they could do a sequel on this. Like, what happens? What's the, what's the aftermath of this? Everyone can see the aliens now. So what? where could they go from here? But, um, yeah, I, I thought it was a fun ending to a movie that I thoroughly enjoyed. All right. Any more uh, final thoughts on the ending before we jump into just some fan questions, some fun facts? No. All right. Let's, uh, let's start with some fan questions. Uh, Shan, one of our best fans of the show, she commented, uh, this is going to be an interesting conversation given the key aspect of this movie being Carpenter's social commentary on consumerism and capitalism. Uh, she she commented she's going to rewatch tonight, and she asked us, "Do you think this film is still relevant, and why?" I think so. I mean, there's always going to be hidden messages and uh, subliminal messages and other agendas from our higher ups. I would say. Yeah, I kind of touched on that. I, yeah, I kind of touched on that on my beginning or my opening, where it was like, "Yeah, I don't. I think it's relevant no matter what decade you're in, no matter who's in power, and no matter." You know, I think it's it's very on topic and, and relevant no matter what. Yeah, I mean, any any time that you're in a society that has social classes, 
this movie is going to have a place because there's always going to be right. an upper class that the lower class feels like is controlling everything and brainwashing right. everyone and holding everyone down. So, yeah. And I mentioned that with uh, how I feel surprised that this movie hasn't at least even been rumored to be remade because of how relevant it, it continues to be. I agree hundred percent. It's actually, and not to be cliche, we said it off the top. Brian said it twice. This movie's more relevant now than it's ever been. Uh, this movie, you know, it's issues about class and race and society and capitalism and consumerism. All that is now more topical than even it was, you know, when the film was made in 1980 or when the film was released in 1988. And so I think that this movie is completely relevant. And I know that Shan may, you know, maybe she was expecting a little more of a conversation about that. But again, we did, you know, we, we just covered the platform, which really, really dives into that. That's what the movie is about. Yeah. And so this one is a little, it's not subliminal. It's very in your face, but I think there's a lot more fun happening around the message where you can kind of dive into that as well. And so look again, you know, sleep, obey, recreate like all the stuff that, that when, when you put on the glasses that it says, that's what, the message is is you're being controlled by these people and this was a complete double birds pants at the ankles move from john carpenter to ronald reagan and i think by the way he's talked about that a million times and still does if you ask him about it he's going to tell you how much he hates ronald reagan reaganomics and all that stuff so again still very very topical and as long as the message transcends generations which i I'm, I'm sure it will because there will always be the high class and there will always be the low class uh i i can imagine this movie will be relevant forever all right michelle asked a similar question on facebook uh she commented dustin this was a great pick so that's something michelle's on your side damn right she it asked, was do you do you guys <laughs> think this film was ahead of its time i'm gonna be honest when did you say this movie came out 87 88. I was born in 1988. I was born in 91. I really don't know if it was ahead of its time. <laughs> I was a glimmer in my father's left eye. Uh, anybody else got comments? I would say it's of its time and it transcends time because that's go. what we already talked about. It's still very relevant. Yep. Bingo. I think that the concept remains. The uh, The visuals are very of its time, but the concept is is kind of a timeless concept. Yeah. There you go. There. That's where it is. Perfectly said, Mike. There you go. Uh, just a few more comments and questions on Instagram. Nothing too uh, intense. Uh, Becky Gremlin, she commented, yes, with a bunch of exclamation points. She <laughs> loves this movie. And D.Y. Hunts commented, yes, one of my favorite Carpenter flicks ever. So that's – and a friend of ours, all of ours, uh, Brightso, Matty Talley, he commented, yes. And then he asked, if Nada was out of bubble gum – why didn't he pick some up when he was in the convenience store? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it was 1988. Damn it! Because he, he, he was too busy talking shit to old faces. ladies. <laughs> yeah, how's he supposed to think about? How's he think about? How's he supposed to think about his grocery list when he's got that real fucking ugly lady standing there? So. Also, gum was more expensive. Bill Clinton wasn't in office yet. There was no economic boom. Damn it! Shit was pricey. All righty, uh, let's jump into fun facts real quick. Uh, we've said a lot tonight. I've only got two that I don't think have been said. Uh, Roddy Piper, being a married man at the time of filming, refused to take his wedding band off 
That's why in several scenes you can see a wedding ring on. Uh, and the last one I have is Roddy Piper's character never gives his name, nor is he referred to by name throughout the entire movie. He is simply listed as Nada in the credits, which means nothing in Spanish and Portuguese. The name almost certainly references the character George Nada in Ray Faraday Nelson's short story, Eight O'Clock in the Morning, from which the film was adapted. Uh, anybody else got fun facts? I just got two. Uh, the first one touched on kind of what you said there. This movie, uh, the story for the movie was drawn upon from eight o'clock in the morning, uh, which was first published in, uh, 1963 as a short story. And then the other one that I have is it's kind of shocking to think about when you think about all the wrestlers that have turned to Hollywood, uh, from Hulk Hogan to the rock, John Cena, um, Kevin Nash, Goldberg, you name it. There's been all kinds of, uh, wrestlers turn Hollywood actor. This is the first one that was headlined by a wrestler to go number one in the box office. So I'm not alone in liking this movie. No, you're not. And I will say that I will say that I'm probably in the minority. I'm not probably, I know I am. This is beloved movie by a lot of people. So wait, you're telling me the princess bride with Andre the giant was not number one at the box office. Wow. Just wow. <laughs> I have a good are are you telling me Mr. Nanny wasn't ever okay, never mind. Uh, Suburban Commando should have been, but my man, this one came out first. Thunder, <laughs> Thunder in Paradise was a hit, son. All right, anyway, uh, not uh, the only fun fact that I had is the uh, you know the uh, screenwriting thing where where Carverner didn't take full credit for it, and he used the the uh, the character of Frank's name as the actual screenwriter because it was it was a collaboration with him and other people, including. Roddy Piper, so he didn't want to. He didn't feel right taking full credit for it, and so he used a you know a pseudonym there as a placement holder. Um, again, this movie, as far as the money it made, it had an estimated four million dollar budget, which is basically potato chips right. in the world of movie making. Uh, and it looks like it grossed worldwide thirteen million. In the U.S. and Canada, it made $13 million. There you go. So that's what I'm going with. Another little fun fact that to go along with that budget is that the movie was overshadowed by Halloween 4 that was released just two weeks prior, which I was going to say might have pissed off John Carpenter, but Carpenter just doesn't seem like the kind of person that really gives a shit whatsoever about a movie and what it makes. So, no. It is yeah, probably not. It is funny, though, that this movie was supposed to release the same time as Halloween 4. But he pushed it back yeah. to November 4th is when it came out. And uh, Halloween 4 was the first Halloween movie in the franchise that wasn't that he wasn't involved in. You know, he was directly right. related to, obviously, 1, 2, and 3, which 3 was a shithole. And then uh, <laughs> he, he was okay with pushing it back to November 4th because, because of the political yeah. commentary in this movie, he wanted it to kind of be very hot at the box office and on the people's minds as they go into election week, which was November 8th. Okay. Right. Yep. Yep. All righty, gentlemen. Uh, let's jump into our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. Uh, Dustin, it's your birthday pick. Do you want to go first or last, Ricky Bobby? Let me set the bar. So. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, as far first, as my I favorite like kill, oh, yeah. Oh. Let me let me let me set the bar. Uh, as far as my favorite kill, I said it a minute ago. I really like how uh, Nada was in the alleyway, just firing shots into the sky. He got his guy, he hit him off the uh, top of the roof, and then just still was letting them things ring. So uh, 
that was just funny to me. Least favorite kill was Frank because I didn't care about Holly, so her her turn only pissed me off, especially when she killed Frank, who I was invested in, and then we didn't even get to see it. So I think that that was a uh, fumbling of the bag there. Um, as far as this movie, like I said, general thoughts or I really enjoy it. It's something that has nostalgia for me. I, I like it a lot. I know that friend of the show, Trey Rowland, also loves this movie, and I've been talking to him pretty much since I joined the show about, hey, I'm going to pick this movie one day. Glad I finally got to do it. So I'm going to give this movie an eight and a half. Okay. All right. I'll go ahead and go really fast. Uh, I don't have a favorite kill because it was mostly gunshots. My least favorite kill is Frank, which I have already said here. I think it that he deserved a much better on-screen death. Uh, I said most of what I had to say at the top of the show as far as the movie. I think it's just okay. I don't mean that in a bad way. I I, I mean that in a good way. To me, it is rewatchable because it's fun. Uh, and it, it, if, it, if it's a classic to you and it's a cult classic, I completely understand that. Um, is it something I'm going to reach to a lot? No. Um, have I reached to it a lot in the past? No. I've probably seen this movie about four or five times. And so... You know, this was would have been my six times. So I only needed to watch or uh, rewatch it just this once, and so it's not in. It's not something that has instant replay value for me, but I, it has a charm. I love Roddy Piper, always have, and so to see Roddy Piper in a different role is kind of fun and interesting. Um, all that being said, I gave this movie a seven, just a flat seven. I thought it was a pretty high score, um, but partially because I just think it has a lot of charm. And I like that it tries to say something. Is it a great movie? No. Is it a good movie? Yes. Seven Tyron, I thought you were going to uh, say so. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, there goes Mike with his deceiving, deceiving uh, rating. <laughs> uh, Those favorite guys know kill. I'm, I, soft. I'm too kind on these movies. I'm too kind. <laughs> Unless it's Colorado Space. Good night. Uh, favorite kill <laughs> is the. Sucks. My favorite kill. I chose the uh, the gunshot kill. Against the green board, where like the blood splatters against it. I mean, like Mike mm-hmm. said, it's a lot of gunshots, but I picked that one just because it had the most blood. Uh, my least favorite, I'm just like y'all. I picked Frank off screen. Rating, I said Roddy Piper was charming, and Keith David and Meg Foster did a fine job. I thought the rest of the acting was uh, pretty mediocre to bad. Uh, I think the effects in the present day don't look good at all. I think the, the faces look terrible. Uh, Roddy Piper had some great one liners. We all agree with that. The fight scene with Frank was awesome. Uh, I wrote the movie was going for a political message, which I think they got across, but I just didn't feel like it did hit effective with me just because uh, it was associated with the goofy skull faces and the kind of, to me, just a little bit monotonous black and white visuals with words everywhere. Uh, And then I don't know if this will make sense at all, but I wrote, I feel like this movie is just a few scenes that are way too long and drawn like drawn out just to make the runtime longer. Uh, like Brian's mentioned, like one scene was like six minutes with no talking. The fight scene was like six minutes. Not that it was bad, but anyway, I just wrote not terrible, but it's nothing really special. And I just gave it a five just right in the middle. Real quick Sorry, before Dustin, you go, no, you. you're good. Five's a lot higher than I thought you were going to say, but real quick before you go, Brian, <laughs> I, I did have one more thing in my fun facts that I meant to say, and you reminded me of when you're talking about you're not a fan of the way the aliens look. Um, so Carpenter chose this look intentionally because the 
aliens look like humans that have been decaying. And that was kind of as a uh, metaphor for how society and humans are decaying. And so that that's the reason they look like they did instead of the traditional high tech aliens or green aliens, you know, how we typically see them. So anyway, go ahead. No, I'm glad you said that. I saw that too. I don't know why I wasn't mentioned, but yeah, I'm glad you said that. Um, so my least favorite kill is Frank. Uh, my favorite kill, I don't know which one it was, but it was one of the few, the, uh, the police raid, the blast, the shotgun blasts of, uh, you know, with all the blood and everything there. I, th- I thought that was, I don't really have a particular one in there, but it was, they were all really good. Um, <laughs> uh, so I said everything I really needed to say at the beginning of it. Again, just to reiterate, settle MLCFB is my Twitter Please go throw me some, you know, hit, hit me Be up as much four. as you want Be to. Be hath four. Um, Be hath four. I'm, I'm sorry. He was breaking up there. I'm not sure what he said. Um, but uh, it was, it's definitely settle CFB. That's my Twitter. So please. Four. <laughs> so I, I know that I am in the minority 100% and not liking John Carpenter's stuff. Um, I gave the movie a four and a half. Jesus Christ. Sorry. Love you, Dustin. I'm just, I'm just, you know, it's just, it's all right to me. Okay, that's fine. Uh, that puts our composite at a six and a quarter. And uh, okay. didn't Probably think that you. Than it is. I didn't think that you would be the Judas. Um, I didn't think that you would stab me in the back, <laughs> Brutus. I thought that you would be on my side more than any of these guys, but that's fine. <laughs> IMDb has it as a 7.3. In this case, they do know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> Dang, IMDb I had Cloverfield out of 7, too. So. Yeah, yeah, fucking, I, yeah, well, yeah, they know what they're talking about yeah. with that one, too. So you're absolutely right. I, I actually knew that Brian – I had a feeling Brian wouldn't be a fan just because I know he doesn't really like John Carpenter outside of Halloween 78. But you know what he does like? Yep. Sci-fi. I know. You know what he does like? 80s movies. Yeah, know. You know what he doesn't like? Me, apparently. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, let's go back to my birthday pick of Cloverfield, guys. Say, All of you fuckers. I, hey, guys, we're, we're running out of time. We're running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> let's wrap this thing up. Hey, Mike mm. picks the best movies on this show. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Wow. Uh, you don't whoa, take risks. No you don't take risks with your picks. Yeah. I don't need to take risks. I don't need to take risks. I pick good films. Yeah. But I do. Universally except revered for films, except for Halloween too. Except for Halloween too. <laughs> Mike, who would have thought that I rated how your birthday pick the highest, the se- the second highest? <laughs> I never would have thought Rob Zombie's Halloween two would be my my highest rated, not not mine. Uh, oh, wow. b- before Brian's power goes out again, let's give a shout to our blood donors <laughs> and get the hell out of here. <laughs> well, Everyone who listens to this, uh, honestly, tweet B half four. Or whatever, say uh, he did a great job because uh, this episode is going to be a nightmare to edit. Uh, legendary blood donors, two times Miss Joe Swinford, Sean Irwin, Matt Sears, Miss Shan Petrasevich, Michelle Mirza, Austin Graham. My man did a great job last week. Shout out to him again. Uh, Andrew Ferguson, uh, looking forward to doing his blood donor pick in a couple weeks. Uh, final guy level, Hunter Nelson. Also, Dream Warrior level, Hunter Nelson. Tasha Reed. Rochelle McLaughlin, and our camp counselors are Mickey McCrane, Jared Summers, Dennis Kennedy, and Joseph Clayton. Thank you all so much for donating us and helping us pay for this podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, Dustin, any final thoughts for your birthday pick? Happy birthday, Dustin.
Thank you, thank you. Um, I don't really celebrate my birthday, so don't bombard me with online wishes. I don't really care. Uh, I'm just getting older, and it's depressing. But if you want to watch this movie and you haven't seen it, it is available free to stream on, I mean, on Peacock. I'll go ahead and, you know, I got back-to-back picks because we wrapped up with our blood donors, and then, hey, it's my birthday, so I get a pick, and then I also, somehow I ended up at the top of the rotation when we, you know, something happened. I don't know. I'm not going to question God, but <laughs> my pick for next week. I'm questioning. I'm, staying- I'm questioning God. <laughs> I'm staying right here with John Carpenter. I'm picking an all-time classic. I'm picking a movie that has Ice Cube in it. Ghost oh, of Mars. God. Let's go. Oh, I have not seen that, but with the Carpenters, got to strike against it. But with Hinstridgen it. That's a that's a plus for it. A couple of pluses yeah. for it. So so this I'm movie, waiting. I'm just I'm just gonna be honest with you guys. This is kind of like a uh, kind of like a bones pick for me. It is a guilty pleasure. They live is not a guilty pleasure. I just love this movie. Ghost of Mars is kind of like a guilty pleasure for me, but I think that you will all enjoy it more than Bones. I feel confident in saying that. Okay. Well, God, I would hope so. Shut your damn mouth. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck man. Yeah, Bones is freaking terrible. Uh, anyways. <laughs> Really enjoyed this episode. It was fun hanging out with the guys tonight. Uh, And stay tuned for the rest of this week. It's Friday the 13th, so you know there's going to be some bonus content coming, so be ready for that. Jason, let's go, baby. Just want to remind everybody. Don't do it out there.